Hey everybody, before we uh, get started with the show, I want to take a second to talk about Anchor. Anchor is the platform that I use to record Project Mindfully Outdoors. And it's one of the most amazing pieces of podcast technology out there because it puts all the tools that you need right in your hand. And what's cool is it's free. And not only is it free, but you can also make some money off of it. So if you're in the market to start up a podcast, I highly suggest you swing over to anchor.fm and check them out. This is a Project Mindfully Outdoors presentation. As a writer and a sportsman who struggles with his mental health, I'm on a mission to connect the call of the wild with everyday life, to make the concrete jungle just a little bit easier to navigate. By drawing on the backwoods philosophy of the past and some of the greatest thinkers and masters of today in a way that shapes the message that you just might need to hear today. This is Project Mindfully Outdoors. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of Project Mindfully Outdoors, the podcast. As always, I'm your host and your guide, Mike Martin. I got to thank you for tuning in. I'm sure that with yet another heat wave that's taken over at least my area. It's been a grind this week. And, you know, what better way to get over that grind than to uh, jump into a fun conversation, a conversation that really puts things into perspective. And that's what you're in store for today. Because today I'm joined by Chris Ninsky, who is honestly one of the most unique and interesting speakers that I've ever met. And I say that for a number of reasons. Most uh, importantly, well, not most importantly, but one of the very first and quickest things to jump out about Chris's background is his martial arts mastery. Because, you know, having that mastery is really taught him a whole number of aspects that he applies to the message that he delivered here in this interview and that he delivers in all of his engagements. It helps him to bring it to you in a way that is very Zen and very identifiable. You know, you can definitely connect with uh, every aspect of the conversation or story that Chris is trying to convey. And it comes across in a way that is uplifting. You know, it's very motivational. And that's something that we need more of in this space. But there's a part of that mastery, there, you know, the study and the work that goes into it that in this interview Chris talks about, which really is something that You know, I'm sure you and I on the outside looking in would never consider to be 
a part of the study and the practice and the test and everything that they go through in order to achieve the mastery. But the impact that it had when Chris put it into real world, real life practice was life changing for not only him, but the person on the receiving end. And you can tell just how authentic and important that experience was to him and how that motivates what it is that he does now. So there's another important thing that we touch on many times in this conversation is no matter where you're at in life, no matter what position you hold, what's going on around you, how you navigate through the world, it's so important to always remain a student, even when you gain the level of mastery. Because in reality, you're nothing more than just a master of being a student. And a student is always learning and applying new avenues and new paths. And that's something that really, really will take you further than you can ever imagine. And while I don't want to give this entire interview away or foreshadow it too much, because I really think this is a powerful one that is going to put a lot of perspective on a lot of different things while making you smile and, uh, you know, you're going to enjoy this one. So on the flip side of this word from our com- from our sponsor, I'm going to jump into our conversation with Chris Ninsky and thank him one more time for allowing me the opportunity to bring him into camp and celebrate his work and his studies. Now, if you're anything like me, spending time in the outdoors is much more than just a pastime. It's a way of life. And if you're anything like me, then you find that one of the most challenging aspects is finding new and tasty foods and snacks to keep us going while we're in the field. And this is where I'm pleased to introduce you to our new friend, Cody Rich, and also the rest of the crew at Backcountry Fuel Box. This is a monthly subscription where they do the legwork for you. They do all the research and explore all the latest products that hit the market today. And they narrow it down and send you a wide variety of the latest meals, snacks, foods, and even pick you up goos that are hitting the market. Now, when you get your subscription box, it, every month it's packed with the newest and greatest available foods that are on the market today that you can throw in your backpack and away you go but what's even cooler than just that is the fact that Cody and his team go the extra mile to fully research and then turn around and introduce you to the companies behind the products that they're sending you so what that means is by doing so and joining the Backcountry Backpack Fuel subscription box, you get to rest easy knowing exactly what you put in your pack is the greatest snacks around today.
Chris, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good. So, you know, I'm pretty excited and looking forward to this conversation. And I think, honestly, the first thing that popped into my head when I got everything ready was the martial arts thing. Convince me on why that is such an important aspect for people to explore. Yeah, well, you know, I've been doing martial arts. I'm a little biased, Mike. You know, I've been doing martial arts since 1973. <laughs> so, and, and, and I've taught tens of, tens of thousands of people. But I mean, for me, martial arts is great because what it does is it, it helps us um, get in touch with all aspects of ourselves. I had to teach, I taught a lot of kids when I was had a, a school full time. And I always used to call it the great equalizer. So if you had a kid that was very rambunctious, it helped settle him down and bring him to center. And if you had someone who's very shy and withdrawn, it helped bring them out of their shell and bring them more into a more empowered state. So I think it has that impact on all of us. And I think anytime you have something that is a physical challenge, as well as a mental and emotional and spiritual challenge, what it does, is it helps you grow and it helps you find parts of yourself you didn't even know exist. So as I said, I'm a little biased because I've seen the benefit for tens of thousands of people as well as my own life, but I really think that's the essence of it. You know, the biased part aside, because I think after as much time and effort into studying as you've done, you're allowed to have that biasism. Okay, good, thanks. I know I feel that way about the outdoors for the exact same reason. Yeah. You know, it's not always about going out there and taking down a deer. It's about getting out there, facing the challenges of whatever is thrown at you that day and being able to connect with yourself and your thoughts. Yeah. It's very calming and very soothing. So I love how those two things bridge together. Absolutely. Well, and you know, when you're doing martial arts, whether you are practicing in a class, if you're being tested for a new belt, if you're in the ring and, and sparring with someone, if you're not present, that's when you're in trouble, right? And so right. it brings about in you a, a great um, capacity for getting in the present moment. Like when I was competing back in the late 90s, and I competed on a national level in the uh, sport, of, uh, sport of Taekwondo, it was full contact, okay? So if you weren't present, <laughs> there was a <laughs> you may not be present, you know, because you're going to be put to sleep. <laughs> right. Some guy was looking to knock you out. So I mean, that's not the total essence of it, but that was something, I mean, you just get super present. And, you know, I think that that's where a lot of our difficulties happen in our society today is we have so many distractions. I mean, I, I have them as well. We've got the internet, we have television, we have our phones, we have all these things going on. And we tend to be, uh, it's like the, the, the tail is wagging the dog, right? We're so distracted in so many ways that we don't get to slow down, let our apple juice settle, so to speak, and get present because that's where the real that's where the real gold is. Yeah, and I think you know to tie that into like the mental health aspect at all is it really plays with people's anxiety, absolutely. Because you know, like you mentioned with the internet and everything else, that it's so easy to distract yourself that when you get shoved into a moment, those distractions aren't there. That anxiety flares up. Absolutely. And you get so uh, frantically lost within how to cope with it because you don't have those coping skills. That's right. That's right. I would, I would totally agree with that. And, and what happens, I think, in our society is we tend to become very reactive as a result of what you just explained. 
versus being proactive, being able to set our own intentions. And what we do is we react to situations versus responding to situations. So like when I'm teaching self-defense seminars, one of the things that I do is I create that distinction between reaction and responding because a reaction sometimes can be positive, but if you don't know how to deal with tough situations, it can get you in trouble. But responding allows you to deal with the adrenal response that happens and deal with the situation that's in front of you in a conscious way. And then you can make good choices, making conscious choices versus just reacting. Yeah, I know for me personally, along my journey, it wasn't something that I instantly snapped my fingers and knew how to do. I've had to, I've had to learn all this stuff. And the safest place I found to do it was in the woods or on the boat, you know, walking along the shore or whatever. And I think that that was like one of the very key lessons that I learned along the way is for each of us, there's a safe place to be able to, exercise all of these different things that we talk about in this space as far as self-growth and you know learning to manage your emotions be proactive instead of reactive it all takes work and i'm sure it was i'm sure it was the same for you you know you didn't just walk into the dojo and everything was you know golden i'm sure you uh, fell on your face more times than not at at the beginning well, it's, it's so true, not only for myself, but all the students that I've taught. So I have about, last count, about 1,500 students that I helped take from beginner to black belt level in the last 27, 28 years. And in that time, Mike, I can think of only two of them that basically had, when I, when I first met them, basically all the skills I thought it would take to be a black belt. Focus, concentration, flexibility, strength, tenacity, et cetera. Only two, which means you had another 1,498 that didn't. But they got there. And quite honestly, those were the people that oftentimes became the most proficient black belts, the most proficient teachers, the most pro- had the most profound transformations because they did go through those struggles. Right. It wasn't. Right. In fact, I had a lot of times when I'd have students where the martial arts from an athletic standpoint was quite easy for them. And after a while, it's almost like they got bored and they left. Right. And the people that didn't, that struggled, but all of a sudden they'd struggle, 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 and then they'd have a breakthrough. And now the confidence comes and the endorphins start to flow and they realize, wow, there's really, there's more to me than I ever thought was there. Those were the ones that stayed and became my best black belts. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're sitting here telling me that story. I'm thinking about, you know, how that relates to experiences that I've had, you know, with like teaching my children how to fish. Yeah. You know, you get out there and you watch them kind of struggle. They get frustrated, put the pole down, run off, start playing with the worms and everything. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and you know, they had their little worm dance party and stuff as I've had with my daughter. Right. And uh, then finally that day just happens where they kind of zone in and they, they might see a fish in the water and they might spend a little bit extra time and, trying to trick that fish to bite the hook. Ultimately, when that happens, it's not only the excitement and the pride that pushes them forward, but it's just that that reassurance within themselves that, hey, this looked like a difficult situation, but I figured it out. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know what many people don't know, and particularly in our society, and I've been guilty of it as well, um, is understanding that getting mastery in anything that we want to do means we have to get to a point where we're embracing the plateau. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There's a, a great book called Mastery by a guy named George Leonard. And he says that the path to mastery isn't a direct line moving northeast. You know, imagine a straight line going this way, right? He says what happens is, is most roads to mastery is you're making no progress, you're making no progress, you're making no progress, you're plateaued. Then you literally dip in performance from your baseline, but then you pop up above that. Then you plateau, 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 you dip, but then you bounce up above that old baseline. And so what ends up happening is it does eventually move northeast. But it's, you know, if you look at it from 30,000 feet, you see that. But when you're in it, it feels like you're not making progress. And that's where most people quit, right? But, but mastery and whatever you choose, whether it's fishing, it's hunting, it's martial arts, it's whatever you choose it to be, you have to be able to fall in love with the process. Because when you do that and you stay with it, that's where the magic is at the end. Absolutely. I think, you know, honestly, throughout having all these conversations, people put things in a way that I've experienced, you know, because there's been a lot of peaks and valleys throughout the process and, you know, kind of bouncing ideas off somebody. It's like, oh, that's just my process. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a moment you go forward and then all of a sudden everything gets difficult. And yeah, a lot of people hit those moments and they fall off the wagon maybe they go find some way to numb it and get away from it yeah and they forget to get back on track right. now personally i've done a lot of the facing those harder moments kind of sitting through and being like yeah this is my process i'm going to grit my teeth and i'm going to go and uh there's a line from Epictetus that i really draw back on where you know, once you think you know everything, you cannot learn anything else. That's right. That's right. So it, it's like a matter of facing the that hard decline moment and being like, man, what what is there to learn out of this? Absolutely. And, and then that proves to be like a trampoline that jump pushes you up to the next plateau. It's that it's exactly it's the exact thing I was talking about. And you know, we have in martial arts, obviously, the metaphor, I guess there's two things I could share with you is that you know, is to look at things with a white belt mind, right? So even though I've been training in martial arts for, you know, going on 50 years now, started in the womb, just so you know, but um, for, for all that time, I still love to go in situations where I'm learning something new or, or maybe looking at something that I've taught for years in a whole new way. And then in terms of that whole perseverance aspect, one of my favorite um, sayings in the martial arts that we use all the time is, a black belt is a white belt that never quit. A black belt is a white belt that never quit. So again, it's not the most, it's not the most famous. It's not the most uh, skilled. It's not the most charismatic. It's not the most anything that eventually gets someplace. It's the ones that just keep showing up, right? And I think that that's a, a lesson that you can use in life in almost any aspect of things is just to create that, what I call a conscious persistence. So we're persistent about a lot of things in our life, right? We have habits right. that do, it's very, very persistent. But many of those we do, they're unconscious. We do them because we've always done them that way and it doesn't really lead to our growth. Where we have growth is when we have conscious persistence. 
we know where we want to go. We change our attitudes, our behaviors, whatever, in a conscious manner, and we hold to that. And that's not always easy because it's sometimes reworking a lot of neurons in the brain, things we've always defaulted to. But when we can get beyond that and we start firing in a whole new way, that's where we start to grow and expand. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been experiencing. And that's kind of kind of how things have developed into like this backwoods philosophy kind of mindset and, you know, experience where you kind of draw on things that you've read and that you've learned and you realize, hey, you know, they persevered through whatever the details were. I can do it too, no matter what I'm facing. Right. And, you know, when you do that, you know, like we keep saying, you're climbing that ladder from just having that persistence, which really entitles you to have that all around joyful experience out of life to be able to find the power to make it what you want it to be. Absolutely. And, you know, and I'd actually, I, I, I'd submit this to your listeners because I share this with my coaching clients, particularly when they're experiencing difficult times, is if you look, if we look back and reflect on our lives, my sense is, and this is a general statement, but my sense is the times in our life when we went through struggles and came out positively on the other side are some of the times that we look back at now with the greatest amount of, of gratitude and nostalgia, right? When things went yes. super easy, you forget about that all the time. But you know, when you've gone through struggle, when you've gone through difficulties, but you've come out on the other side victorious and whatever victory means for you those are the moments that we appreciate in our lives those are the greatest teaching moments they're the ones that we share with our kids when they're going through their difficulties they're the ones we you know we wear on our sleeve with pride right uh, right so when we're in them it's super tough you know i'm not excusing that at all but when we are going through those difficult times to know that, wow, this is most likely one of those springboards you were talking about before, that's going to take me to another level. Yes. Those are what I call grip and grin moments. There you go. All right. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you see the guy on Facebook posing next to the deer uh, or holding up the fish. Yeah. And I actually wrote an article about that concept of the grip and grin moments, how they they become like the kid, you know, the kindling in the fight in the wood that fuels the fire and the momentum that you build off those, you store that away for those more challenging moments. You're like, Hey, I showed up that day. I got that fish and I never would have done that had I not been there. That's right. So That's here right. I am. Can't barely pull myself out of bed yeah. knowing that, you know, the depression, the anxiety is just crushing me right now. Yeah. Yeah. But last week I achieved something huge and because I did it then I can do it. I can still do it now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I think it's, I think it's a Tony Robbins quote. He says something like we are rewarded in public for the things we've been practicing for years in private. Yes. You know, everyone always thinks, particularly in our age of social media, where it looks like anytime someone posts their life is an absolute you know, zenith of positive activity. And, you know, and, and where you see someone that's experiencing some great success, you're thinking, man, that must have been easy for them. I could never do well. You don't realize the 10, 15, 20 years that it took for them working it until all of a sudden it, it opened up. You know, we don't, we don't view it that way, at least not in Western society. It's much more of an 
instant gratification kind of thing. But yeah, it's like uh, it took me 15 years to be an overnight sensation, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that uh, that instant gratification of, you know, if you just wait, I'll give you two marshmallows. But then right. there's that exactly. marshmallow right in front of you. Exactly. I'm familiar with that study. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. I, I love that one. I love tying that into like the campfire session yeah. idea. You know, you're sitting there wanting to roast the marshmallow. Right. But if you just wait a couple of extra minutes, you get two of them to cook instead of one. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's so difficult for all of us. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, it's, it's ironic that you mentioned that because it's kind of where I'm at with this podcast now mm. is I've been chugging away at it, chugging away at it with this picture of, you know, maybe five people are listening. <laughs> and then I, I, don't really follow the numbers very often. I'll glance at it just to see how it's doing. And all of a sudden that little graph really took a massive arc yeah. and it's like, okay, now what? Right. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I find it. I, now it's here. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And I, I find it ironic because I've always been a musician growing up. I've okay. always played an instrument. So I always had that to hide behind when I was being creative. Mm -hmm. Now, doing a podcast that creativity the instrument is my voice so there's nothing to hide behind and yes. when i when i seen that arc i was kind of like you know literally fell on the floor like oh now what do i do <laughs> <laughs> right. that's right because there is something that's comforting about the romanticism of when i get there one day and being in that dream mode and then when yes sometimes happens it could be super exciting but it can also be super terrifying at the same time. Like, yes, now, you know, now I've got it. Now, what do I do? What's, you know, or we get there and then we get fearful. Of, well, can I man maintain it? You know, am I, is it going to go away? So all those things start to start percolating in our head. And, you know, that that's where it goes back to being present, right? Wherever you are, yeah. be there, right. And enjoy where you're at and things are going to, there's going to be an ebb and flow of things. I certainly had it in my life professionally, personally, um, competitively, etc. So yeah, it's, it's just one of those things being able to ride that wave. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you go into starting a, a project, be it creatively or even yourself to, uh, remove the stipulations of, I can be happy with this, if this and that happen and just be happy within the moment and just enjoy it and let it organically grow. And that that's really what this has been for me is like that organic process of, I don't care what the results are. Mm -hmm. You know, I, when I first started, I never expected I'd be sitting here having a conversation like this with you or with anybody else for that matter. Sure. And now it's, man, this is even cooler than I thought. It's been it's been a fun and interesting experience. And to be able to share that, you know, with however many people are listening now and knowing that it's helping somebody out there, right? whether I hear about it or not, is a very gratifying thing. And I'm sure that, you know, you can relate to that a lot in the work that you do. So I'd love to get your perspective on that idea. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, a couple of things come to mind when you bring that up. Um, you know, certainly in martial arts, being able to teach students for decades and then 
we, we, we just celebrated, well, in, in, in 2020 would have been the 25th anniversary of, my, of me opening up a professional martial arts school here in Denver. And we had a big plan to do a big reunion in 2020, and we all know what happened then, so that didn't happen. So we literally just had our reunion back in April of this year. And we had tons of people come back from the past. I mean, these were students that I taught when they were 12, 13 years old, and now they've got more facial hair than I could ever care to grow. And so <laughs> coming back, I hadn't seen them in 10, 15 years, some of them, and then hearing the stories about what they were doing in their lives now, being productive citizens, being happy, having families, et cetera, and just super, super gratifying, right? And you know, the other thing too that I've always taught my students, one of the things we do in martial arts in our program, which is I think uh, there are many martial arts organizations will do something similar, but I can't say that they do it exactly like we do. We have, a, I think, a really strong balance between teaching physical techniques and teaching character development techniques, you know, and, and things. And so when someone tests for their black belt, um, they not only have to, the, they test for, or they, they train for like three, three and a half years. And then the final four months, they've got some pretty intense training. So they do 4,000 pushups and 4,000 crunches and they spar, you know, 400 rounds and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but what I love the most is the personal development aspect where they have to uh, do 400 random acts of kindness and they're logged and, and, and well, I misspoke, the younger kids do 300 uh, acts of kindness, but a hundred home chores. So parents love me, right, Mike? Um, <laughs> they, they, they have to eat clean for an entire week. So no sugar, no processed foods, no alcohol. You know, getting 10 year olds off beer is tough, but I make it happen, right? And then, <laughs> and then the final thing, which I absolutely love is they have to spend a day of empathy where for a full 24 hour period, they have to either be in a wheelchair, blind, or deaf mute. And we ask them to assimilate right in their regular work day or right in their regular school day so they don't just sit on, on the couch all day and be deaf mute, right? They have to right. go out in their communities. And the stories that we hear from that, because they, they, they understand this great deal of empathy, um, and, and it's just such a great experience. What I always tell them about the acts of kindness is you never know how that one act that you made could have made a dramatic impact on someone's life in a huge, in a huge way. You know, we, we, we teach uh, also a suicide prevention course within our black belt candidacy training. And, you know, we've had students, unfortunately, throughout the years that have, have died by suicide, but we've also had many who were at that brink and decided not to because of, of that training. And so we don't know as individuals, and Mike, you, you may influence somebody and not hear about it for five years. I've had that happen. I've had that happen in my blogs that I do or my videos that I do each week. Someone will reach out to me that I've never met. Oh, I've been listening to you for years. I have no idea. And there's a real specialness about that, right? Knowing right. that uh, it's fun to quantify it at times, but it is also fun to know that we're doing good work out there and making a positive difference in others' lives. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, at some point, it really boils down to the fact that the student becomes the teacher. And it's what you do with that knowledge that you've gained, the empathy, how you share your story and present exactly what you've gone through 
mm-hmm. that really makes it, you know, something that somebody else can touch and identify with. Yeah. And that is really the core value of, like you said, the fun aspect of this is the fact that, you know, just as much as somebody's going through these difficult moments, leaning on, on it as a resource, you get to know that you've impacted somebody's life that way. And I've been there on the very difficult, dark side of the coin. And now I sit on this side of the coin, you know, push those things away where I can manage them, I can control them. And I love the fact that you guys work that suicide prevention aspect into the course. That That's very commendable because being able to help remove the stigma around that I think would save so many people that are on the brink of it because when you get to that point, it's like, you feel like either everybody's going to judge you and push you over the cliff anyway, or they're not going to understand and they're still going to push you over the cliff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the, the thing of it is that I've learned, I've been involved in suicide prevention work for probably going on 10 years now. Um, and I, I actually am certified to teach, uh, two suicide prevention courses. And one of the lines that I will use often, and it's something I learned in this work is people who are, who do attempt suicide, they don't do it because they want to die. They do it because they want the pain to go away. Absolutely. Huge distinction, right? And taking that stigma out of it. That's why, you know, when we bring our, our students and their parents together, before they go on that four month intense journey in preparation for their black belt testing. And I'm up there and I say, oh, and this is the date we're doing suicide prevention training. And you see people's eyes start to, you know, get wide and they look uncomfortable. And I'm saying, okay, well, let's, let's think about this for a moment. One of the benefits of martial arts is self-defense, is it not? Yes, it is. Great. Well, the greatest amount, the greatest work that we'll probably do in terms of using self-defense skills is probably not the boogeyman in the bushes, although that does happen. It's going to be about the negative thoughts that we're constantly dealing with ourselves and the challenges that we have and being able to lift ourselves up and others around us and make that the focus of self-defense. That gives a whole new broader context to it. And now what's so interesting in doing that work that we've done for so long is we've, we've had students that it has absolutely been life-saving for us. We have one young gal who um, I was, she was one of my top students at the time. I was training her for national competition. And she went to her first national competition in California, took a second and a fifth place. I had been training her privately for months for competition and came home from that experience and told her mom she was done. She was done with martial arts. She was done with competition. She was also involved with hula, didn't want to do that. And her mom was like, what the heck? And so, you know, and this young girl, her name is Ashley, at the time was 13 years old. And uh, mom was pretty upset because, you know, she spent all this money, right? Getting her all right. She's in a teen thing. But she sat with it for a couple of days, the mom did, and then thought, you know, this isn't right. So she went to Ashley. She said, honey, what's going on? This isn't like you. And Ashley pulled out her phone and showed her mom her detailed plan for suiciding in the house. And then she lifted her, her sleeves and showed her mom how she'd been cutting herself. So the mom sprang into action because she had attended one of our suicide prevention courses and got 
her daughter evaluated. They put her into a two-week in-house program to get her going. And the mom calls me up and says, Master Natsky, this is what's going on with Ashley. And I want you to know something. I want you to hear this. Um, if you ever doubt that the work you do makes a difference, that suicide prevention training that I attended saved my daughter's life. And so I hung up the phone and I'm not, a, I'm not embarrassed to say, I, I started blubbering like a baby, right? So then, I, so then I called my buddy who had trained us all in suicide prevention training here in Denver. He was head of the, uh, uh, head of the, um, the depression center here in Denver. And he goes, Chris, I can't believe you're calling me. He goes, I'm in the middle of budget season. I'm going from meeting to meeting, wondering why am I doing this work? And now I get your call and I know why. And then both of us start breaking down, right? So, yeah. so the story ends really positively. If I could just indulge you for like one more, one more minute. Ashley going. Comes me, Ashley comes to me two, three months later. She's now been evaluated. She's gone through therapy. She's on some medication because she had been diagnosed as bipolar. And she said, sir, you know, that suicide prevention course, I can't tell you how awesome it is, but I'd like to know if, if, if you'd allow me to come and tell my story so I could talk to the teenagers about it directly. And that's now been six, eight years. She now is going down to school in Colorado Springs. She still makes that 90 minute drive three times a year to do a 10 minute talk and uh, to all of our, our young kids. And the, the, the story will end with this is probably about four or five years ago, Ashley was invited to um, be a witness um, along and then invited me as well at a Senate subcommittee here in Colorado to be a, an advocate for suicide prevention training in Colorado schools. And so there were 32 witnesses. I was one of them. Ashley was the only student that had been suicidal. And after she gave her testimony, one of the state senators literally ran her down in the hall and wrapped her up in this big, this big bear hug. Thanked her for being there. So it's just, you know, it was, it was that kind of work is why I, why martial arts is important to me. Do I have students who've been immensely, you know, uh, have they been successful in the ring and won tournaments? And absolutely I have. That's the reason I do my work right there. That's a beautiful story that, you know, being a guy that came from that side of the coin, been there a couple of times myself and having to suffer through, through it in silence, you know, because I didn't have those resources, those connections. And ultimately for me, I stumbled across some Marcus Aurelius quotes that smacked me in the face on a podcast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that was kind of where I ended up being, you know, when I finally do get things right within myself, that's the motivation and that's what I need to do. And the, the thing that I always find really ironic when I think about not only how I ended up here, but how a lot of people that I talk to end up, you know, in these positions is you have those kind of moments, you learn something that, you know, really shakes your world up and then you feel compelled to tell because you know that there's somebody else out there that's suffering silently yes and that is the power behind the work is you know you just continue the cycle you pour into the greater good that's right that's right you know and i'll i'll i'll, I'll bring it this context to it i 
I have a very good friend of mine and, and she's also a business partner. We do uh, self-defense training together. Her name is Teresa Byrne. So I have to give her credit for this quote, but um, when we teach our courses, she talks about the idea of moving from being a victim or victimhood. Um, and it's not being so much a victim, but you've been victimized by something, right? Now you can choose to be a victim, but what we advocate is you've been in a victimizing situation. You go from victim to victor. Okay. And that's where you have your own personal experience of overcoming that and helping yourself grow and expand from that experience. But then the third element, if you choose into it, is moving from victor to visionary. And that's where you take your experience and you share it with others to help Im positively impact their lives. So victim to victor to visionary. I always just love that analogy because that's really what you're talking about as well. You know, you have that difficult experience and you can choose, and if we stop, and there's nothing wrong if we stop right at the point where, hey, it helped us, and now we can go and live a productive life and feed our families, there's nothing wrong with that. But man, there's some great, great juice at the end if you choose to yes. take a visionary aspect, right? Because now it's like, wow, now my life has got real purpose rather than just you know, creating a paycheck and whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm making impact. And that's, uh, that's pretty powerful. Absolutely. And we need more people like that. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter how many different ways that story gets told, it's got the same principles to it. Each variation is going to identify with somebody else. Yes, exactly. And each variation is going to pull somebody else out of the darkness. Right. Yeah. And that, that is, that's the key right there. That's right. That's how we crush that stigma. Yes, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. You know, I, uh, I, I think it's interesting that you, you, you're using the word stigma because I use that exact same word. And the thing of it is, is when we don't, when we do stigmatize something like uh, suicide, um, it remains in the dark. It remains. Yes. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up as a child of an alcoholic father as well. And the same thing happens with alcoholism and substance abuse. When you put it under the rug, you stigmatize it, you hide it in the shadows and never shine light on it. It just continues to fester. It continues to metastasize. It's when you begin to shine light on it that, man, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, that, you know, we don't realize we oftentimes also think, Mike, that we're the only ones going through those difficulties. And then you get yes. vulnerable and you, some of the people you think are the strongest on the planet come up to you and go, Hey, yeah, I've dealt with that too. And you're like, you dealt with that. You know, we're, we're all dealing with our own stuff, man. You know, we're all dealing with our own stuff. That's an important thing to realize is, you know, everybody's going through something, whether we know it or not. And you, when you're in those moments, you can't be afraid to ask for help. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, I often tell my clients and I use this in my speaking is that 100% strength comes from 100% vulnerability. You know, asking for help is literally a sign of strength. It takes courage right. to ask for help. You know what I mean? It does. It takes a lot of courage. And unfortunately, particularly men, you know, I'm not, Yeah. this is a general statement, but I think, you know, because I do men's work as well. And a lot of guys just are like, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps, going to just, you know, put on my big boy pants and I'm just going to, you know, punch through this thing. And, you know, it works until it doesn't. 
Right. And all of a sudden you look around and go, holy cow, what am I, what do I need to do here? Cause, the, cause then it's, it's so foreign. It's a really difficult move to make. It is. And I think it has a lot to do with that pride factor. It does. You know, it, it's difficult to uh, skin a deer with a dull knife. Yeah. But I'm going to look like I'm the tough badass and I'm going to do it instead of going to my neighbor and ask him for the sharp knife. That's I'll stand right, out there exactly. all night and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love that analogy. You know, it, it makes but, me, you know, early in my speaking career, um, I was having a, a, a time where, you know, the speaking gigs weren't coming in the way that I wanted them to. And I was on the phone with my mom, who's who I absolutely adore. And she's, you know, I'm incredibly close to my mother. And I, and I was, and I have to admit, I was whining. I was venting. Oh, this isn't working. I can't know. How am I going to do it? She, and, you know, God bless you. She just listened to me. Just listen to me. And after I had exhausted myself, she, she, um, and to take a breath, she said, so, uh, you want to be one of those motivational speakers, huh? And I, I said, yeah. She goes, do you think you're going to be successful in that if, if uh, you never tell people about all the problems you've gone through and everything's just perfect in your life? And it just like blew my mind. I'm like, I'm thinking that I need to show up as being everything perfect in my life. But it's through the lessons, through the challenges, that's where the connection is with people, right? That's where right. the lessons are. And I, I hadn't, uh, I mean, I did not put that, I had not put that into context that, but that was where the magic was. Yeah. It's, you know, literally you're forging the, the sword on the iron. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where the connection comes because, you know, you can walk into say a counselor's office, who's got all the dusty degrees on the wall mm-hmm. and, you know, ramble and rant and rant. And then they just, give you some big giant words and you walk out going i got no idea what you're talking about this is a waste of my damn time (laughs) but when i can sit and i can tell you a story about things that i've gone through and be able to relate to the story that you're living Mm -hmm. then you're like man there's hope that's right that's right and and, you know at the very least this is a process of being able to bridge that gap Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the clinical to the everyday real life world where, you know, I got this guy on a podcast telling me these stories that he's lived through and he's still going, hell, he's still in counseling. Yes. Yes. I can do it. You know, I can pick up a journal. I can start to collect my thoughts. I can, hell, I can talk to a counselor. It's okay. And it, you know, it dulls those, those stigmas just that little bit more. Because that that guy's going to be like, you know, in the blind or at the coffee shop, whatever, telling his buddy it's going to slip out one way or another. And his buddy's going through some things that he can't handle and he's having a a difficult time with. And it's going to be like, you know what? My buddy did it. I can do it, too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because so much of that, when we have the courage to take those steps and then share our stories, what we in essence do is we give others the permission to do the same thing. Right. It's almost like we're, it's almost like people, and I've been there too. It's almost like we're waiting for permission to step into that. And when we see someone that we admire, someone that we're close to, someone that we love and respect, and they show those that courage, it's a huge incentive for us to do the same without question. 
Most definitely. So, you know, we're sitting here having this conversation. You don't exactly look like the uh, stereotypical karate master, (laughs) which is something that I love. The fact that I can identify with you and be like, oh, really intrigued about getting into this martial arts idea. Because, you know, as we started earlier talking about the connection, there's that connection with the land when I get out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the connection with, say, the shooting process, the animal that I'm after, the fishing process, mm-hmm. the water, all of that all ties together. We're, you know, we're genetically, it's built into us to have that connection. And I feel like this is one of those other avenues that we can explore openly and build that connection with ourselves, with, you know, literally the space around us. And I think that having conversations like this from two different genres really is eye-opening to that fact. I would agree. I would agree. And, you know, there's a there's an evolution that just came present for me that I share with people a lot in the martial arts. Um, you know, most people come into martial arts. Um, if you're a teen and adult, maybe you're like I was enamored with the TV show Kung Fu when I was a kid, right? <laughs> yes. Involved, right? So you come because of the excitement, the kicking, punching, or, or your parents put you in because you're, you're ADHD or you need confidence, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also an evolution within martial arts, particularly as you move into adulthood and you um, are moving through the advanced black belt rankings. In the martial art of Taekwondo, which is my, my base uh, martial arts system, we have nine degrees of black belt. And you could say you take those nine degrees and you divide them into three segments. And first through third degree black belt is basically the fighter, the warrior, right? So you're, you're, you know, you're, you're sparring, you're doing tournaments, you're, you're competing, all that kind of stuff. And that's, and it's a great place to be. And I had a ton of fun being there and learned a lot there. And it was great for my growth and development. I learned tons of life lessons. Then you move into the time period of fourth, say the sixth degree black belt. And that's where you become the teacher. So you're, you know, now you've moved from being the warrior, so to speak, or the, or the competitor slash fighter, and you become the teacher. So you're sharing your knowledge uh, in terms of teaching physical martial arts. But most martial art masters at some point in time will realize that they've spent all of these years learning how to damage another human to inflict harm, right? And that the full circle of growth comes in being able to heal others as well. So if you're going to be able to destroy something, you have to learn how to be able to build it or rebuild it. So, you know, you'll even see some instructors, they'll move into the healing arts at some point in time. You know, for me, I view my healing art as speaking, right? Because that's where I can touch people. And that is that seventh to ninth degree black belt where we move from being the teacher to being the philosopher, right? And, and I right? love that. Yeah, and it, and it comes full circle. So, and I think there's so many other aspects. I mean, martial arts, of course, has got a pretty set system for doing that. But I think that happens in so many aspects of our lives, right? We move from, you know, in the business world, we're, we're, we're the, the person doing the grind, and then we become the leader. And then after all, it's that old mentor that has all this amazing knowledge that he or she has. And, and it's about creating legacy after that. And so I've always loved that, 
connection with martial arts in that way, because again, that's what's kept me doing it. I, I still love to kick and punch, right? Just being honest, you know, I still love to <laughs> right. kick and punch. I worked out this morning, um, but, or, and that would get really old if that's all it was for me. If there wasn't more in terms of growing and expanding and helping others do the same, it would have gotten old decades ago. See, to kind of spin back to the beginning of that, where the influence came for me, it was uh, the movie Bloodsport. Okay. Sure. <laughs> you know, watching Frank Dukes kick everybody in around. I'm like, yeah, I could do that as a kid. <laughs> and then it cuts to that scene where he's uh, meditating. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? That looks like so not martial arty. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then where that ties into where I'm going with it is the same thing with the outdoors with hunting. Yeah. is in reality you get out there and you're doing all these things but you don't realize it with martial arts it's very straightforward you know it's the average part of the part of the billing mm-hmm. with the outdoors you're doing it on a subconscious level mm-hmm. for me personally it wasn't until uh sometime down the line in therapy where uh my counselor slapped uh one of the meditation apps at me and I was like, you know, talking about it. And I'm like, this is stupid. Meditation? Yeah, that's not for me. And then I turned it on and I thought about it. And I'm like, man, I do that when I shoot. There you go. Exactly. You know, I breathe. I, I focus on my breathing and clear my mind when I shoot. I do the same thing when I go to cast my line out in the water. Sure. There's really something to this here. Mm-hmm. And that's the fun of this stuff is being able to expose people to the really life changing skills that you're developing in these pastimes, whether it's hunting, fishing, martial arts, bike riding, even that's, what's really cool about it is you, you know, like you said, you start out kind of at the bottom of it, you work your way up and then ultimately you become the teacher and you teach what you've gained and what you've internalized and built. And that's the fun part is then you mentor somebody else and you get to impact so many people's lives. You know, and it's in that place of silence or doing something, as you said, where you totally are focused and keen in on that activity. See, I would argue that is meditation. I, I were, I did some work with, um, I did a five-day retreat several years ago here in, in Colorado with uh, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, the, the, the urban legend was is that in his monastery, he had no automatic dishwashers. He just had people that his disciples would wash and dry the dishes because that was meditation, right? He was meditation. Right. And the other thing that was coming present for me is I, I've heard several times the story about Thomas Edison who of course in our country's history is one of the greatest inventors of all time. And he would each day take a break to go fishing. So he would cast his line out in the water and he'd watch the bobber. But what people soon found out is he never put any bait on the hook, but he was just clearing his mind and watching the bobber. And that's how all these ideas for all these inventions started being downloaded to him because he was getting his mind out of the, you know, his thoughts out of the way. And he was just concentrating. He was meditating basically on the bobber there, but there was never any bait on the hook. That is the coolest story. I've never heard that one. I love that. 
-hmm. and it's clever you know i'm standing out here holding the uh stereotypical um i guess masculine man thing you know fishing yeah but i'm yeah. really i got you there i'm really meditating <laughs> i that's love right. that that's right that's right i love that and you know there was actually a there's a book out there called the zen of shooting okay which is about the meditation aspect of it yeah. and i i had never stopped to read that before i was exposed to it and started really thinking about these things and how they all tie together yeah. same goes with the the survival skills yeah. you know you've got to build on water shelter fire you got to do those things in life too you got to have the basics yeah. and then once you get those you branch out into exploring new areas and looking how to improve the situation mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely well you know in, in each one of those situations hunting fishing martial arts survival it requires you to be present yes you're allowing your mind to race you're 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 never going to be able to function properly it's when you slow it down you get right in the present moment just like i said at the beginning of this podcast when i was fighting and there was a guy that was 6'6", 260 that was looking to knock me out. You have a tendency to get pretty present in that moment, right? <laughs> yeah, right. right. But, but it's one of those things. We, we, there are so many things in our lives that we kind of do with half presence. You know, we think we can multitask. And it's been scientifically proven. You never can truly multitask unless it's like a gross motor skill, like walking and thinking at the same time or walking and talking. But it's basically your mind going very quickly from one thing to the other. And many times you spend so much time getting re-engaged in your project. It's taking you, you think you're doing things faster, but it's really taking you much longer because you don't have the benefit of being totally present. And the way that I share that with my clients is you literally slow down in order to speed up. You slow down in order to speed up. So if you focus on one activity with no other distractions, that deep work you're able to do can be so much more productive than trying to do something with three other distractions happening, thinking that you're being more productive. It just doesn't work out that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up uh, as a kid, I jumped into the fast food industry real quick. So you're automatically mm -hmm. taught to multitask. And I think about how I've had to, over the years, unlearn that skill yeah. in order to really learn how to be present and right. focus upon things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. That's very true. And, you know, I think uh, as we're kind of winding things down a little bit, I think the last question I have for you is to leave us with some words of wisdom from your path. Okay. Wow. Well, you know, one of the um, one of my bylines in my business is uh, champion don't champions don't need to be told what to do. They just need to be reminded and champions. You know, you could put any kind of adjective in there or noun in there, if you if you will. But what I mean by that is they don't need to be told what to do. They just need to be reminded. It's about slowing down. And, and sometimes it's remembering, but other times it's just reminding changing your mind in terms of how you're choosing to perceive things, allowing the judgments to go away, the things, oh, I've failed in this in the past, et cetera. And it's, it's so easy for us. When I do work with people, I, I take them through the, an exercise where I literally ask them 
because most people will be able to tell you what they don't want in their life, right? I don't want to be stressed anymore. I don't want to have to work so hard. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is what we focus on expands in our lives, right? right. And so it's reframing that saying, if you this, you don't want that, what's the opposite of that? Focus on what you want. And one of my favorite stories of all time is about Mother Teresa. And this is at the height of the Vietnam War. And um, the protests are going on. And a group comes to her and says, Mother Teresa, we are having a big march, a big protest against the war. Would you lead us? And she looks at them and she says, no, I will not. And they're shocked. You know, this nobody's the war is incredibly unpopular and and thousands of people are dying each month. And she says, if you have a march against the war, I can't be there. But if you have a march for peace, I will lead you. If you have a march for peace, I will lead you. So what I'd encourage all your listeners to think about is what are you for? What is it that you want? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? But focus on it from a standpoint of being for something versus being against something. And I think when you find that, that's where your real power is going to be. That was very well said. I think one of the most important things for anybody's journey is the words that you select. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Whether you're telling yourself or you're telling somebody else, it's the way that you word things. If you're for something, you're going to work to get there. That's right. And if you're describing it in you know, being against it oppositionally, then you're going to have so much more of a battle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Chris, it's been truly a privilege. I've truly enjoyed this conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Mike, I've really enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Before I let you go, though, you got to let people know how to get in touch with you and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So pretty easy, Mike. They can just go to my website, which is my name. It's www.chrisnatsky.com, all one word, C-H-R-I-S-N is in Navy, A-T-Z is in Zebra, K-E.com. And uh, you can read all about my coaching programs, about my keynote speaking uh, programs. I also have a, a board-breaking experience that I do with corporations and organizations. And then I have my books and my online programs there as well. So chrisnatsky.com. Perfect. Well, we definitely got to hook up again and do another one down the line. So sounds good, my friend. Awesome. All right. That's it. That's all. That's the end. We've reached the end of yet another edition of Project Mindfully Outdoors. You know, really today, given the way that Chris presents the story, and the motivation as well as the key points for us to practice and keep in mind i really don't think that there's much more to be added to that to leave you with today outside of the fact of what you know this whole theme was today be the student be the student of the day put yourself in that space and just soak up all the different things that are offered to you to learn because you know what they're invitations to help you grow and move you forward toward mastery so that you can in return teach those things 
to the person that comes after you. So until next time, get out there in the wild, because that's where the stillness and the adventure lies. See ya. Hey, it's Mike. Real quick, before we get out of here, I just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the show. You know, without you, none of this would be possible. So, if you're enjoying the show, and if you wouldn't mind, could you leave a five-star review and a few kind words? I'd be most grateful, and I hear it goes a long way in helping our growth. Also, if you could share this podcast with a friend, they just might thank you for it. After all, it's about community and growth. So until next time we meet, talk soon.